And we are back. Turf Show Times, the podcast, which, of course, covers not just the Los Angeles Rams, but the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. And that is something that uh, you might have said in the year 2000, but now you can say it in the year 2022 as the Rams have won the Super Bowl. If you're not, if you're just tuning in to the NFL season, the Rams have won the Super Bowl, beating the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm recounting something that uh, feels, I guess, a little bit old news at this point because it's my first chance finally to talk about the Rams reaching and winning the Super Bowl with Joe McAtee, former managing editor of Turf Show Times, then going on to Beyond the Horns. And you can find him on Twitter at 3K underscore, which I hope you already know already if you're listening to this show. Joe, the Rams have won the Super Bowl. It's uh, something that uh, we, a lot of people speculated would happen, uh, certainly could have happened all throughout the season after acquiring Matthew Stafford and uh, then going on to, you know, creating a pretty good team. And then there were some times when there was maybe some doubt crept in and all of a sudden uh, the Rams won something like nine of their last 10 games. So the Super Bowl champions, Joe, it's my first chance to ask you, how does it feel? It's weird. It's like, you know, I woke up on Monday the day after and everything smelled better. <laughs> the, the paint in my house looked nicer. Sound, sound, loud screeching sounds outside now, now turned to purring cats. Like everything's mm. better. Everything's better after winning the Super Bowl. No, I mean, obviously it's exciting for the franchise and its fans to, to have something that, that exists on the mantle. But the thing that I was left with that I didn't really think about until after the game when it started to hit me is the permanence of it, right? Mm. That that all these details will go away over time and all the, all the components of the season will go away and all the, all the 31 other teams go away too. Cause that's what happens. Maybe the 30 will remember the Bengals making it. Yeah. But the one thing that sticks around forever for decades and then forever is that the Rams are Super Bowl champions. And there's not a lot that has the permanence of that. Maybe, maybe an MVP award, maybe a hall of fame inclusion, but at the team level, there's nothing like winning a Super Bowl and it exists forever. And so I think that was one of the things that, you know, when we talked about it, you talked about the idea of the expectation before the season, when we talked about the Matt Stafford trade, the idea was always, well, you know, this team just got to the divisional round with Jared Goff. They need to at least get to an NFC championship. Well, they've gone out and won a Super Bowl in year one. And so th there's nothing really left for them accomplished. Now, obviously, you'd love to keep winning and try to get back there and win another. But that's not necessary because the only thing that's necessary is to win one because that has the permanence that's beyond anything else. And so I think that was the main thing that really hit me in the, in the last week since the game ended is, is just the idea that now this, this will last forever. If you talk about back-to-back -back Super Bowl champion quarterbacks, you're talking about Tom Brady, John Elway, Troy Aikman, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana, I think. Um, what would that make you think of Matthew Stafford? Or what do you think people would then say about Matthew Stafford if they did repeat next year? I think it's so hard. I mean, we've already been on this weird roller coaster of, of how to evaluate Matt Stafford and how to, you know, obviously as soon as the game was over, start talking about his legacy and his career and his Hall of Fame credentials. I think it's too hard to say. I think we're in the middle of we're, we're in the middle of a couple things. Number one, I know you know this as well as anybody, Kenny. We're in an era where the quarterback position is being redefined. Mm -hmm. And how we assess it is being recalibrated, right? Coming out of an era where Steve McNair could win MVP and throw for what did he throw that season? Like 2,400 yards or something, right? right? It's, it's just totally different now. And I don't think we've uh, calibrated it well with respect to quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers, how we really understand um, what's the right, what's the right word? Uh, performance in, in this era from those positions and from these offenses uh, in the same way. We're struggling with with something like Cooper Cup, who had obviously the best wide receiver season since Calvin Johnson and maybe of all time for a guy who's not exactly in the beginning of his NFL career. Right. He can't, this season kind of came out of nowhere compared to where the rest of his career was. So that's a guy that's been in the league, what, five years. And yeah. now you're talking about Stafford, who had this weird resume where he really languished in Detroit. And I think everybody, including Detroit fans and media, understood that Stafford was doing as much as could be asked of him. But then the question is, what happens when you put a team around him? We obviously saw this season. And I think, you know, if, if, if they're able to have even more success beyond that, it's going to be, you know, hard to really 
put things in into the kind of uh, general understanding that goes beyond fan bases that everybody can understand. But I think we're already in that kind of confusion already. So I, I don't know that we can even unpack that yet without uh, a greater understanding of the era itself and then trying to figure out how we're going to put guys like Matt Stafford into certain tiers. I'm going to, I'm going to be a little unfair and ask you to speculate a little bit, which, or a lot, which is because of the narrative that surrounds Matthew Stafford before. How about about narratives in 2022 narratives took a hit as a, like, you (laughs) know, overall the stock value of narratives has just plummeted this year. I hope so. I mean, that would be my, you know, I, I want to get into some fake news later on. The Bengals were in the Super Bowl. Can we just get rid of <laughs> get rid of narratives, man? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, I do wonder because of the way people talk about Cooper Cup and the way that people talk about the Rams and the way that people um, may, you know, don't want to generalize people, but you sure, know, the sure. way that it goes around, um, if if totally speculating here if the yeah. rams had instead made a move for carson wentz instead of matthew stafford and if everything else was exactly the same quarterback stats the super bowl championship cooper cup stats everything do you think that carson wentz could have been an mvp a super bowl mvp do you think people would have been more on board because he is a you know he did help the eagles kind of win a super bowl already sure. he's young he had a lot going for him where people could go like oh there's a future here instead of looking at the past do you think he could have had a better chance to for people to put him on his shoulders well i think what's not deniable at this point is whether you look at jared goff's time with the rams and then obviously short sample size with the lions or you know conversely stafford's extended time with the lions and now his short period with the rams is that the way this team is constructed both in terms of their overall structure but also the specifics of the roster on the offensive side let's say along with sean mcveigh's offensive acumen is this offense can boost anybody right where you know whether it's stafford going from whatever you thought of him before I think everybody thinks more highly of him now, especially with the team accomplishments at the end of the season in the postseason. And similarly, what you might've thought about Jared Goff before taking him out of the Rams offense looks very different. So Mm. I I think to your question about Carson Wentz, and especially what you said was if Cooper cup had the same season, that means that he's the one getting it done at the quarterback position. I I think that that goes back to what we were just talking about though. We haven't really come to an, an understanding of, how replaceable certain quarterback performances are in the right offense. And I think this is one of those right offenses where Mm. between the way the offensive line played this season and obviously the talent at the wide receiver position, which combines, you know, a half of a season with Robert Woods with a perfect emergency (laughs) situation (laughs) of Odell Beckham Jr. of all people coming in to replace him when injured. That, that, that no matter what quarterback you got, they were going to play their best football here. Right. And, and that was the case for Jared Goff for a couple of years. That was the case for Matt Stafford. Yeah, I think that might have been the case for a guy like Carson Wentz. But I also think it raises the question of, you know, how long can you keep that structure around? Because as long as you get the right quarterback, it maximizes the effect for everybody. That was the entire intent of the Stafford trade. And it worked out. So, yeah, I, th- I think there is a, an angle of, you know, the offense being strong enough to support other quarterbacks, even those kind of quarterbacks like Carson Wentz and Jared Goff that have some, well, what's the right word here, Kenny holes in their game. Let's say (laughs) that, that everybody is content to criticize and it's easy to criticize. And I get that, but you put guys in the right situation with the right components around them. And they tend to do better than they do when they're in situations without that stuff. And right now, and especially for this season, the Rams had just about everything in place for Matt Stafford and it worked out pretty damn well. That's true. I mean, there are people right now looking at other teams that could fill that role as a great situation for a quarterback who's on the move. Uh, We know that Deshaun Watson is definitely on the trade market. We know that the, we know the names that are speculated to be on the trade market and we know the teams from the dolphins to the commanders go ahead say commanders for the first time (laughs) i don't know that i'm ready to i don't know it may take a while the commies we're going with commies right that's how like they that had to have obviously gone down i mean they must have had just a ton of conversations about how the the nickname would be the commies before they did this right perfect it's it's so fitting i'll give you i'll give you one random name that i thought about kind of the last half season and there hasn't been any news or anything like that to it. But if, if I'm one of these teams that's looking at the Rams that got their quarterback situation upgraded and was able to do what they did this year, 
how much would it take to get Andrew Luck back? Because mm. Andrew Luck, if you're looking around, Andrew Luck, along with Deshaun Watson, is probably the best quarterback you could possibly get. Yeah. And, and unlike Deshaun Watson, who's got whatever baggage that he's coming out of Houston with, Andrew Luck was pretty spotless, right? Outside, outside of the health issues that he was dealing with and outside of being a total nerd. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's just one Go it's ahead. just one of those things where, you, and we're talking about the era for quarterbacks. I think we haven't gotten to the idea quite yet that if you've got a good quarterback, that's good enough. You don't have to have Pat Mahomes or Tom Brady, but you've got to have a threshold that you pass, right? Obviously, Andrew Luck is above that threshold. And it's just surprising to me that now that there's been enough time for him to get away from whatever situation he was really dealing with with Indianapolis and the trainers and his health that we haven't heard a little bit more about him. Cause I, that was one of the first things I thought about with Matt Stafford is Stafford comes into this situation and excels. There's a lot of teams that would excel with Andrew Luck if they were able to get him on that roster. It's interesting because, you know, I think um, the model of what Andrew Luck was doing for the Indianapolis Colts in the 2010s was he could produce a lot of touchdowns. He also would throw a lot of interceptions and uh, at the time, I think there was such a, it was so in vogue maybe to be this Aaron Rodgers, or at the time, Tom Brady was throwing like two interceptions in a season, you know, right. and it was like, oh yeah, be perfect. Don't be, you know, just gotta, you know, just don't throw interceptions, don't throw interceptions. And then you see this year, you know, uh, Matthew Stafford led the NFL in interceptions, but it came with so many touchdowns that I think we could now look at the teams that, you know, the, the three quarterbacks who like led the NFL in touchdown rate this year were like Aaron Rodgers, who obviously didn't win a playoff game, uh, which isn't to put it on, on Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, still didn't win a playoff game. Uh, and then I think um, like Carson Wentz or something like that. And, and basically the other two guys didn't even make the playoffs who led the NFL in, in touchdown rate. And Russell Wilson was avoiding uh, interceptions like crazy, but uh, had his worst season as a pro. And then guys that would throw 14, 15, 17 interceptions like Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, uh, Josh Allen, you know, Patrick yeah. Mahomes. It's like the real impetus here is certainly an Andrew Luckish thing of throw 40 touchdowns. Yep. We're okay with 15 interceptions. It's time to just start scoring a lot of points, which was like more explosive plays. Yeah, yeah. More explosive plays. I mean, that was the thing with, with Joe Burrow this year, because it wasn't just the interceptions. Look at the sacks too. Remember yeah. what he, I think he led all time or something. The most sacks, right? It was uh Pretty, I mean, in the playoffs, yes, yeah, and in the yeah. Super Bowl, and then in the regular season, he did lead the end of uh, leading sacks. You're right. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where sacks plus interceptions. There's no way that that should be a functioning offense. But when you've got the home run ball, and obviously home runs different kind of things, but it's just one of those things where the game's changing. And you know, when you talk about those old Andrew Luck teams that yeah. the middle of the decade, they didn't have the defense to be able to cover up. That was the thing about the Rams and the Bengals this year. They had a defense that could uh, adjust to. Those kind of how, how many of those, you know, interceptions that Matt Stafford threw, even the ones that weren't per pick sixes, did the Rams defend and turn them into field goals? Even the one in the Super Bowl, yeah. right? And Aaron Donald talked about it that, you know, you make that a field goal, get off the field and give the offense a chance to come back and do what they do. That, that wasn't the case for those Colt team in the mid 90s before they really fixed that defense. And they really didn't fix it till last year, 2020. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just one of those things. And I, I, we don't need to spend too much time on Andrew Luck and Carson Wentz after the Super Bowl. But, no, no, it is, that, that, but the thing is that that's the lesson that a lot of teams took away from the Matt Stafford decision is that you, you don't have to draft, you know, the perfect guy number. You don't have to get a, you know, Pat Mahomes or the, um, I, I guess, a Joe Burrow, right? Might, might be the kind of the new uh, the kind of framework that you're looking for for a franchise quarterback. You don't have to have that guy. You can get good enough as long as you've got the other components. The Rams had the other components, and I think that it was pretty obvious that the Super Bowl was a team win. I don't know that there's a lot of teams out there that can do it, and I don't know that there's a lot of teams out there that can sustain it as long as, A, the Rams already have, and, B, however much longer they can. Yeah, I think uh, – and just to wrap up, Andrew Luck, just because it's um... – it's kind of interesting how time has passed so quickly. He's not played in four of the last five years. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> and it does feel like recent. And I do think like, yeah, if you give a team, if the Colts called up and said, Hey, look, we got 80 million in cap space. We got Quentin Nelson. We're going to, we got, we're going to give you something more. we got a better defense. We got Darius Leonard. Uh, this is a crappy division who knows, but uh, 
Yeah, that he would. I, I agree 100%. He's like that lurking giant, uh, as opposed to, you know, some of these other perspective moves. There is no, I don't Nothing know. Nothing that know, size, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, what Matthew Stafford and Tom Brady brought to their teams the last two years, I'm sure that, uh, you know, if these big names did move teams, that could be the case, you know, but th there's going to be so much more that goes into it. It's also the age factor of Matt Stafford and, and Tom Brady, right? That yeah. these are guys that were able to leave the team where they, let's say, been at their peak for so long and still be able to achieve at the highest level late into their careers. There's not there's not a lot of other positions where you can really do that. When you look at like Von Miller and Dominic and Sue, the, the guy, maybe an Eric Weddle, although that was a super asterisk case, but uh -huh. some of these guys that the, that the Rams have obviously, obviously picked up and then the way other teams have approached those kind of veterans, they don't usually have that, that level of effect that a Stafford and Brady did. Part of that is obviously the position, but part of it is also the idea that you can get guys that physically are past their prime and just rely on the mental game of that position. And it's good enough. Whereas other positions require so much more physicality. And so, yeah. We'll see. It, it's going to be it's going to be weird to see how teams approach quarterback play because it's so important. It's so much more valuable than anything else. And yet they're still finding difficulty really nailing down what differentiates the successful guys from the non-successful guys and separating context. The same way when we talk, you talk, you mentioned narratives, the narrative around Matt Stafford. What percentage of that was just down to the fact that he was playing on those Lions rosters? Like 60, 70, 80% of the narrative had nothing to do with Matt Stafford and everything to do with the Lions? And you also say, like, when teams can't figure it out, it's like, uh, you know, and you're talking about something very important, which is, you know, the what Brady and Stafford bring uh, from just processing the game. Yeah. And yet when the draft comes around, it's a lot of talk of, like, well, Trey Lance and Justin Fields are faster than Mac Jones, which, yeah. hey, look, in the long run, those quarterbacks may turn out to be the better choices. But it, it seems so much of this now is coming down to athleticism and side winding throws. Arm angles. That's arm our new angles. favorite. That's our new favorite math term is the arm angles. Love arm angle talk. Remember how we grew up on arm angle talk? <laughs> yeah, Dan Marino's arm angles. I uh, do you think do you think Troy Aikman understands the concept of arm angles yet? I think Troy Aikman hates everything about 2022. I don't well, think. the elbow is a 90 degree <laughs> angle. Like what? <laughs> uh, I do. Uh, I, I do want to ask about um, the focus. There's say, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that there is more focus on a Super Bowl champions fans this year than in every other year? Maybe. I mean, it was a unique situation. I think there's also been an increased focus on fans since, you know, the beginning of the pandemic. Um, Cause it's just highlighted how, no, how a normal relationship was really, really severed after the last couple of years, right. Where we're just now able to get back into these stadiums and we're just now able to, you know, enjoy that entire process kind of on, I won't say unfettered cause it's still fettered, I guess it's fettered a word. I guess fettered. If you can but, be unfettered, you should be fed. <laughs> it's one of those things where we haven't really gotten back to that yet. And so I think there was some aspect of that that carried over for an attention to fans. But I also think it's one of these where you had a unique situation of a team that hasn't been, you know, in its home city that long and a Super Bowl in that home city. And, you know, I got, you could say the narrative, but I don't think it's as much as narrative as much as the conditions around it were really unique and really interesting. I do, I do think it's going to be the same idea of the permanence of the Super Bowl victory. It's a permanence that's going to catapult that fan base. Um, yeah, and, and pick up a lot of. I mean, winning, winning grows fan bases. That's number one. And thing I don't understand that. why people. This is my big thing with the response to the Rams. A, making a Super Bowl run when that was all happening, and then B, actually winning the Super Bowl, which is that it seemed like a lot of people, including even like uh, major national media figures in uh, NFL Network, ESPN, blah, 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 were talking about this concept of like bandwagon fans and stuff like that. And I'm like, what is the whole point of anyone <laughs> doing anything? Aren't you supposed to add fans? What is the prop? Why are people being shamed for liking a team, especially a team that specifically moved with the point <laughs> of adding global fans to football. I don't understand the shaming. Have you, have you noticed Cowboys fans? Like, have you, have you ever met Cowboys fans? <laughs> you, you think when the Cowboys start four and nine, that they're watching week 14, oh like, God, come on, bro. come on, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, th I think it's one of those things where 
That, I, I will say this. Fans get mistreated by media a lot of times because it's easy to make us the, the whipping boy, right? Um, yeah. in, in, a, in a real unfair way where, where there's, no, there's no penalty that, that media play because they right. can just attack fans. The same way when you see a stadium where there's not a lot of fans, they say, oh, this, this city is not a football city or, oh, they have bad fans. No, bullshit. If you're going to go 0-6 to start and you got to pay for parking and tickets, and I'm not, nobody's doing that. That has nothing to do with football or any sport or any city. We see that all, all the time. So it's, it's easy to criticize fans in a bunch of different directions, and I'm always hesitant to do that because it, it's, it's one of those things where fans can become a scapegoat that media and teams don't have to really take any responsibility for. But the thing I'd say about bandwagon fans is bandwagon fans are no different than other fans. They just pay different attention at different times. That's all. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, as somebody, and, and you know, you can, uh, you and I can speak to, I, to a directly to the fact that you knew that, you know, that two years ago, I was not a Rams fan pretty clearly. Sure. Um, and I've been covering the team for over two years now and I've, I've watched them and I've followed them and mm. written about them. I've become familiar with the players, the moves, the coaches, less need. I've developed respect, adoration, admiration, uh, I I've always loved Aaron Donald. I just love him more. Now I was supportive of Matthew Stafford. I just love him and support him more. Now I didn't have any sort of feelings about the Rams prior to coming to turf show times. And I absolutely consider myself a Rams fan now. And that may seem odd. And that may, and it, certainly it is not something that I could have ever sit here and expected. Few people have ever been in the unusual situation that I've had to move from one to the other. Yeah. And at the same time, I mean, it's just, what's wrong with me being a Rams fan. And I don't understand, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that me and you or me and the people that listening to this that have been Rams fans since what they feel is their birth uh, is co comparable, but I certainly find like, what's wrong with like be having respect, admiration, uh, positive feelings, changing your mind, going into something uh, for a team that is doing things that I think are really respectable. And uh, I think like, with regards to the number one goal that I've always felt a team should have, which I think a lot of people agree with, which is go out there and win the Super Bowl. That's and it. the Rams did that. And they, they're being shamed for trying to do that, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you don't want bandwagon fans, lose a lot of games. There's no there's no bandwagon fans when you're the 2007 to 2011 Rams, right? Worst five-year stretch of any team in history. Totally. So that if, if you don't like bandwagon fans, you must have enjoyed that era because, man, were we a monolithic group back then pissed <laughs> off, pissed off and confused, but yeah, that's part of the, that's one of the things that comes along with winning is you're going to expand the fan base with new fans, different types of fans, fans that may not listen to podcasts in the off season and only pay attention to the yeah. first two months of the season. That happens. That happens to every good team and every good franchise and every sport. Shit. You're in Los Angeles. How many Lakers fans have stopped paying attention this season? Oh that's the way God. it goes, man. That's the way it goes. I mean, I, and I'll also say like, as someone I've lived in LA since 2009, I've been here from before when the Rams came and then I wasn't obviously here when the Rams were there before. Uh, but um, I can tell you just from personal experience, not from the people who talk about the Rams from uh, whether it's from Cleveland or Bristol or whatever it is. Uh, I live here and I know how, I know what, how many, when I saw Rams fans uh, and jerseys and that kind of stuff. And I know that today I see a lot more Rams jerseys yeah, out there. That's and the that's way okay. it goes. It's, it's <laughs> one of those things. It's always weird to revive this debate. when We do it in so many other sports all the time. It's like, come on, guys, this is how it works. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there was a time that the 49ers didn't have any championships. Right. You know, there was a time that the Patriots didn't have any championships. Um, let's, uh, but I do want to say, like, you know, too, with, with regards to, the parade um that day of the parade you know i think uh there was just such a the bandwagon people were the people jumping on the bandwagon to say that the rams had bandwagon fans or that there weren't sure, people sure. at the parade and i know that after the the hubbub and all that and and people who cover the rams or follow the rams or whatever including myself were like hey this is but this is inaccurate. And I know I, I remember a tweet from you just saying, like, hey, don't worry about what other people are saying about you. And I agree with you. But I also feel like I want people to be held accountable for some regards of fake sure. news, which is sure. separate from like, yes, the Rams 
you can't compare how many fans that the Rams have five years in Los Angeles, pissing off St. Louis, doing a lot of things, losing a lot of football for a long losing time, a lot. And you can't compare that to every single franchise and of say, course. well, they should have X amount of fans. So I want to talk to you just about what you, what, how your feelings on that. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that's just so silly. And it, a lot of it is, I don't, I don't want to use a vulgar term here, Kenny, but there's a lot of measuring going on between oh. men. And it's like, guys, you've got to grow up and find some way to be secure in your own manhood, right? Yeah. The size is not what determines the value. Quantity is different than quality, right? Those are two different things. And one of the things that there's two things that we should be able to agree upon. Number one, for the NFL, the Rams have a small fan base. That doesn't mean we have no fans. We have hundreds of thousands of fans, mm -hmm. if not millions worldwide. But at the scale of the NFL, the Rams have a small fan base, right? Number mm -hmm. two is that the NFL has bigger fan bases than most other sports. I'll go out on a limb and suggest that the Carolina Hurricanes have a smaller fan base than the Rams. <laughs> now, that doesn't make them worse hockey fans. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make them worse sports fans. There's just not as many of them. Why? Because hockey hasn't been as important as football to the American sports zeitgeist, and they haven't won a ton. They've had some success, but not a ton, right? So it's just a different thing. And I, th I think part of it is people get wrapped, especially there's a certain segment of fans that want their team to be the best at everything. They don't just want to win the Super Bowl. They want to win the Super Bowl and have everybody rank their quarterback first and say that they've got the best wide receivers and the best defense and the best head coach and the best owner. And, oh, we've got the best stadium and we've got the best food at our stadium. And, oh, we've got the best, like everything. They want everything and they want everybody to acknowledge that they're the best at everything. That's not how it works. It's a very childish kind of psychological response. And there's nothing you can do about it because you're never going to convince fans and media that cover other teams that the Rams are the best at everything. But if you're a fan and you have that feeling in your heart, you just want, you want that validation. And that's one of the things that we see in these fan base discussions is that number one, people, Rams fans want the Ram fan base to be respected, right? But at the same time, they don't want to hear these talks of being a smaller fan base because it gives that, that kind of insecurity of suggesting that there's a quality issue. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case. We're a smaller fan base for the NFL. I actually like it because mm -hmm. it means that we don't have as many of those kind of bandwagon fans and the good job, good effort fans, the good job, good effort fans are really, really easy to deal with when your team's good. The good job, good effort fans are the ones that are always happy. And yeah, our team's great. Yeah, we're doing a good job. When we're going two and 14, those fans are real easy to identify. It's mm. very easy to identify the good job, good effort fans when they're saying, I think Brian Quick could lead the NFL in touchdowns this year. Those are real easy to identify. When, when they're saying, I think Cooper Cup could lead the league in touchdowns, it gets real harder to differentiate between the good job, good effort fans and let's say your generic baseline fan. And so for the good job, good effort fans that want to act like our fan base is the best and the biggest of all time. Right now, it's harder to parse that because we just won a Super Bowl and we have a parade that everybody has to watch. Not every other fan base has to go out there and have a parade and has to deal with these kind of things. So it's yeah. one of those things where you put a smaller fan base under the microscope and it's kind of I get it. On one hand, it invites the criticism from the outside. And on the other, there's this insecurity and kind of a vulnerability that you've got to deal with to acknowledge, hey, I'm a fan of a smaller a team with a smaller fan base. But that's just the reality. And it, does, it doesn't phase me at all. If nothing else, I'd rather be a smaller fan base that wins a Super Bowl than to be the 49ers and not win. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I and I'll just uh, close that the fan section of the uh, podcast uh, by also just saying that I think you know, as, as long as I can remember, you know, teams, sports teams of any kind hook people when they're kids. And if the Rams are gaining the most fans right now in a certain section, it would be the people that uh, didn't have an affiliation prior to now or the last five years, which is typically going to be, you know, kids uh, growing up in Los Angeles or just watching the NFL from one of the many states that doesn't have a football team. And that's how a lot of people would have become Steelers fans in the 70s or Cowboys fans in the 90s, uh, which is just like the fact that that's the team that's on TV and the Rams are going to be on TV a lot. And they've been on TV the last year a lot. So, you know, I think sometimes the fallout of success uh, may not be seen for five, 10, 15 years down the line. Um, speaking of which, uh, let's take it back to 99 
Um, what do oh, you let remember? me let me throw one more oh, tangent yeah, out there because this is related to that. You mentioned the children. Obviously, that's one of the two main audience groups that you can really pick up for lifelong affinity. The other one, and and you're kind of representative of this, Kenny, is immigrants. Not just immigrants that come from other countries, but immigrants that come from other parts of the country to a specific metropolitan area, like Los Angeles, <laughs> like New York, like Las Vegas, where you have tons of people moving there from somewhere else. If the team starts winning, it's much easier to adopt that as part of a new identity versus staying in the same place your whole life and having to decide whether or not you're a fan of that team growing up, especially if they suck and that kind of thing. We saw it with a bunch of L.A. fans, while there was no NFL football there. But it's different now that you've got a team, you've got two teams, and one of them just won the Super Bowl, right? That changes the calculus for people who move there. Think about, think about Los Doyers and the kind of, you know, effect that has on the Los Angeles population and the people that are moving there year in, year out. Again, not just moving to L.A. from other countries, but moving to L.A. from other parts of the United States. It's very easy to assimilate parts of culture. And obviously sports is a cultural output that's, you know, part of that. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's another great point. And uh, when... Cronky moved to the team, you know, as much as there's been working against the NFL in Los Angeles for two decades and, and, you know, the team's leaving and coming back and, you know, whether or not it's uh, very enticing to go surfing or skiing, I guess, uh, you know, is a lot of people still move to big cities and, and LA is, is one of those, I say. Um, is it, is it a transient that we don't know how many people have moved to LA in the last few decades? We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. Maybe 20, maybe 20 or 21, <laughs> uh, 99. What do you remember about the 99 team? And, uh, you know, that was a team that looking back on it could have, could have won three straight Super Bowls if yeah. not for the, you know, the mistakes maybe that, uh, or not even just this, the things that went wrong and, and, yeah in 2000 and then losing in 2001, uh, what do you remember? You can say, you can that? say as the Hakeem's name, it's, it's difficult <laughs> for me to accept, but I, I still get triggered even this many years later. As no. is Zaheer Hakeem. Oh uh, you man. Uh, you're right. Um, that was a specialty. I think that the, the thing about that era and that team was number one, Kurt Warner, right? You've got, you've got a talisman that came out of nowhere. No offense to Matt Stafford, but I hope we're not making, biopics about Matt Stafford in 20 years as bad as American underdog was we don't need a sequel and I don't know that that's not yet I I I will I will I'm gonna make myself but I know it's have you seen it no I think I'll uh you know I'll skip this one but unless maybe it'll be that worth watching for other reasons yeah we're gonna have to do it we're gonna have to force ourselves a date and a time where you and I are like screw it let's just do it let's do it it's it's like homework it's like I don't want to do this (laughs) let's just get it done um i mean that story was just so um attractive and engaging for a guy that came out of you know arena league and was working at a grocery store and now because of the trent green injury in the preseason catapults his team to the super bowl there was also the nature of the offense We, we we just talked about the eras of different offense that was an offense that was kind of a preview of where the league was going as opposed to where it was right you had you had a era when Trent Dilfer was going to Super Bowls where Rex Grossman went to a Super Bowl. Uh-huh. We, I, I mentioned McNair winning MVP with – it was less than 3,000 yards, whatever it was. Or maybe not MVP, maybe Pro Bowl. I don't remember. But he it was tied, the idea uh, – Him and Peyton Manning split MVP in 04, I believe. And how many yards did he throw for that year? It was something ridiculous. I'll, I'll, I'll let you look it up. I'm going to let you look it up, and I'll do a little, a little uh, drum roll in the background because it builds the drama. And it's not 4,500 yards. I mean, that's the thing that's different is – It's 3,200. 3,200, so it was over 3,000. But it's one of these things where you can be co-MVP with 3,200 yards versus a season like Matt Stafford's when he's not in the MVP race, not in the Pro Bowl. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the whole thing has changed. And so that greatest show on turf was the first real expansion of offense, again, before the tuck rule and the 10 to, when we went from 10 to 5 yards for defensive back engagement on wide receivers and all these other rules that helped expand the offense. The greatest show on turf was kind of the first preview of that. But before there was a Tom Brady, before there was a Peyton May, obviously they came and by 2001 with the Super Bowl against the Patriots, Tom Brady, let's say, arrived. But mm-hmm. before that, that whole era, the greatest show on turf was the first inkling of that. The other thing, though, was it was a more lopsided team compared to this one. The defense was solid, but it was only solid. It wasn't it wasn't great. It might have been good or above average, but it wasn't it wasn't very good. 
the defense these last two years for the Rams has been, especially if you include last year, it's been spectacular. This year, I would say it was good. Uh, maybe not very good consistently, but certainly there were games and moments where they were very, very good. And the offense, to its credit, was very good throughout the entire season. Um, and so a much more balanced team, that one was much more lopsided for the offense, but it was an offense that the league wasn't ready to handle. And I think you saw that with the greatest show on turf is that it forced, it kind of forced the hand of the Tampa two defense, but it also forced the hand of kind of defensive coordinators everywhere to kind of figure out how they were going to deal with some of these new concepts that Mike Marks had reintroduced to the league that, that, that you still see around the league today. Obviously the Rams aren't running them, but there's other teams that are still running some components of what Mike Marks did with the greatest show on turf. And I don't think this will be going away anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I and also just bringing it back to Steve McNair's passing yards and the mention of it, it's just interesting too. It's like, I believe Matthew Stafford, even though he did have five more games or whatever, it's just like to have to double that amount. I mean, he he had over six thousand passing yards, including the postseason. Yeah, um, and that is just the way of the world. And then you know, and and was, not be again, not be like in the MVP conversation, or not be a Pro Bowl. I mean, that's that's the real window that shifted, right? Yeah, I mean, he uh, even though, yeah, he would have, I guess he would have been a pro bowler if not for the Super Bowl, uh, if, you know, I guess unless he turned it down or whatever, but ultimately, right, right, right. yeah, to not just be an automatic is, uh, and I think like, yeah, there's, there's just so much, he's not, he's not gonna, yeah, he's not gonna get that Kurt Warner type story written about him, even though he's, a, he's a very different guy who was, you know, pretty much the wonderkind of uh, his generation, um all through it except for he landed with the detroit lions and, right exactly you know um and not to belabor that mcnair point but again we're talking about the window and the era that's the bigger picture that's why i like coming on with you kenny is a lot of time we talk about the bigger picture it's easy to get wrapped up in the smaller picture of the rams and this season and what they did but the bigger picture is an era that's different for offenses. And I was going to bring up the 2000 season. The 2000 season for Steve McNair was the one where they went 12 and three Tennessee did under Jeff Fisher. And he threw for 2,800 yards mm. and 15 touchdowns and 13 interceptions and got named to the pro bowl. Wow. That's a different era. That's just a totally different era. And so number one, obviously the Rams offense has taken advantage of this era under Sean McVay and Mm -hmm. I don't think you can disassociate McVay's arrival at the same time as Cooper Cups, Robert Woods, and Andrew Whitworth, yeah. right? All three of them at the same time. But at the same time, they've taken advantage of this era and then promoted this kind of um, roster building strategy that they've had over the last five years. That's, that, so that, that's one of the big topics now, and that's definitely been part of it, too. That's so interesting, too, that you mentioned Sean McVay cannot be disassociated with the acquisitions and everything that happened in 2017. It's true. It makes, it makes me think of something that I just pulled up recently, and I just pulled up this picture recently, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Les Snead, Jeff Fisher, and Jared Goff on draft day. Yeah. And that's one year before yeah. McVay. Right. And it's like, how much do you think Sean McVay came in there and said, we're not doing shit this way anymore. We're doing it this way. Or do you think it was just good timing? I, I think it was more that he didn't have to say that. <clears throat> he oh. just did it. He just did it, right? Where he didn't have the same approach as Jeff Fisher. And, and gosh, I've spent a lot of time talking about Jeff Fisher. But one, <laughs> of, one of the things that I always said about Jeff Fisher was that, number one, he isn't troubled by losing the way that successful coaches are. No, that's number one. Number two is you don't hire Jeff Fisher primarily for his football coaching. Mm. You hire him for the other aspects, the other responsibilities of a head coach, right? Where Monday to Saturday, let's say, you have very, very different responsibilities as a head coach than you do on Sunday. Uh, mm. February to August, you have very different responsibilities as a head coach than you do from September through January. Mm. And I, I think that's one of those things where we, and we talked about it at the time, but I don't think people really grasp the idea that, that Jeff Fisher's strengths, let's say, were, were what he was hired for. And as obvious as his weaknesses were, people never got that balance right. Sean McVay is very, very different. We don't really know necessarily how he responds to losing because he hasn't done a lot of it. <laughs> he, mm -hmm. he hasn't had a losing season yet. But what's clear is that he definitely cares about the football in a, it more 
that 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 motivates different approaches. And I think you could see that obviously with how he responded to the 2018 Super Bowl. And he did a lot of media that offseason and talked about it and talked about what he needed to do differently. And I think you saw some of that experimentation with Jerry Goff in the last two years that he was here. But the bottom line is that, yeah, that 2017 offseason, if you're going to make a movie about the Rams and kind of the lead up to the Super Bowl, you don't make it about Matt Stafford's life. You do it about the 2017 offseason. Sean yeah. McVay, Andrew Whitworth, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, all the other new team members, turning that franchise around after a single year in L.A., getting them back to the playoffs and creating a foundation for the winning that Sean McVay has been able to oversee the team through the last five years. That that was really the, the synthesis of it. It, it. We'll have to see. I mean, it's one of those things where – Andrew Whitworth is probably done. Um, we're looking into now trying to figure out, okay, how do you end this era and start whatever the next era is? And that's always tough. Look at Bill Belichick and what he's done after Tom Brady. It's not easy. There's no automatic success. Sean McVay has only been a head coach with number one overall quarterbacks as his starters, right? Yeah. Jared Goff and Matt Stafford. So you don't know what the future holds, but it's also one of those things where you can't take away the success from coaches that have been in good situations, whether it's Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. Um, you go, you go back to the, uh, the eighties and nineties in the NBA, Pat Riley and Phil Jackson. Right. And I remember the criticism of those coaches were, Oh, well, they wouldn't win if they didn't have these players. Well, those players might not win if they didn't have that guy as head coach. And so it's a perfect marriage between Sean McVay and who they've been able to get in here. And yeah, I think it's uh yeah. It, it's something that's going to be probably too hard for any other team to replicate, but that's kind of why you had to be as aggressive as the Rams were. If you wanted to take that chance is because that window's temporary and the window was open um, and they went for it and worked. And I mean, truly, I mean, truly without uh, disparaging Jared Goff anymore, I think that era, you know, has to be over without disparaging him. I mean, I yeah. just can't not emphasize enough that, Sean McVay went 42 and 20 with Jared Goff. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, like that is remarkable. Never have a losing season to go to the Super Bowl, to build the Todd Gurley offense and all that kind of stuff uh, around it. And, uh, you know, not disparage him. It's just like, this is uh, so, and to look around the, even the fact, and I'm not, I don't want to, uh, you know, push uh, everybody's success back to Sean McVay, but the fact that Sean McVay has already produced two head coaches better than Bill Belichick's tree in the entirety of 20 plus years. Uh, and then we'll see what happens with Brandon Staley, Kevin O'Connell, but the fact that Matt LaFleur is 13 and three every season and Zach Taylor has been to a, a super bowl. Uh, and even if that is just a by proxy relationship that started with Sean McVay, simply recognizing talent when he saw it and begging yeah. them to come work for him. Sure. It's, it's something is really going well here with, with Sean McVay, right? It's arguable that the best skill that Sean McVay has is in terms of his overall responsibilities as a head coach is hiring. Mm. He's been a fantastic HR manager when it comes to his coaching staff. Yeah. And uh, any thoughts here on the uh, next coaching staff? Let's move forward to uh, 2022. Well, the biggest thing, and, and I always do this with the, when we talk about the things that Sean McVay is doing, or maybe even less need in this era is one of the things I always struggled about with the Jeff Fisher era was that people, fans and media, especially media, wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt as if they'd earned it. And they, they kept doing the opposite. They kept, <laughs> they kept not earning it and still getting the benefit of the doubt. At this point, if you're not giving Sean McVay the benefit of the doubt with whatever the hell he wants to do, <laughs> you haven't been paying attention. He deserves, right? So no. I, I think there's questions as to, you know, whether this could go well or this or that. And look at the Raheem Morris hire. I, th I think there were questions. And even throughout the middle of the season, there was, oh, yeah. you know, uh, there was not unanimity over that hire and his performance, let's say. But there's no way you can look back at it now and criticize those decisions. Um, and again, for a Sean McVay as a head coach, that's earned the benefit of the doubt. So at, at this point, when we talk about the 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 coaching staff it's one of those things where i just have to nod and accept whatever sean mcveigh's doing because he he's he's earned that right to not really be questioned at all at this point if that makes sense it does i mean there is uh i know that something that i've seen on turf show times post super bowl is that people um and fans some fans you know uh and i understand why because 
you know, they hold the draft so dear to their hearts and they, sure. they, they, there's a, that's a big part of why they like rooting for a team is, you know, these young guys that come in and I understand that, but there's and it's still, still the most, it's still the most important vehicle for roster building. It still is. And it has been the reason. Yeah. And for the Rams too, you know, clearly. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, the, the biggest complaint is still the lack of offensive linemen drafted. Uh, how much moving forward, how much do you expect that to change? Should it change? Yeah. I mean, well, there, you, you got to give them credit the last couple of years, right? Joe Noteboom, Brian Allen, Bobby Evans, David Edwards, and even yeah. the acquisitions of Austin Corbett and Coleman Shelton, they, they clearly acknowledge that there was going to be a need for those guys on the roster well ahead of time. If you go back to that Joe Nobu, Brian Allen draft, a lot of people were pissed off that they spent the first two picks on offensive linemen mm. when what they really needed, let's say, quote unquote, needed at the time was linebacker help. Well, the reason they drafted them then wasn't because they needed them then. It's because they knew they were going to need them in a year or two mm-hmm. and needed to draft them and start, you know, mentoring and developing their game ahead of time so that when Andrew Whitworth goes down for a playoff game, you put in Joe Noteboom and things still work. I think that's that's a clear indication of why it was prescient to be able to make that move. So I don't I don't know that I'd agree with a criticism that they haven't drafted offensive linemen. I think it was more a criticism that they waited as long as they did, right, throughout the, the Jeff Fisher, uh, Les Snead era, um, those first three years where it was really, it was, this is a, this is a deep cut, Kenny. Here we go. <laughs> Mitchell Van Dyke in the seventh, Rokevius Watkins in the fifth, and then Greg Robinson second overall in 2014, 11 spots ahead of Aaron Donald. That was the only offensive lineman they drafted those first three years for three really, really, really bad offenses. And the thing that people get wrong all the time when they think about the draft is they think about the the draft class and those picks as being referential only to that single year, right? The idea that, oh, you drafted Greg Robinson in 2014 to help the offensive line in 2014. That's not the case. You're only allowed to give five-year contracts to these guys or four-year contracts with a fifth-year option for your first rounds, right? Everybody else is a four-year contract. So when you're drafting Tutu Atwell, you're not drafting him necessarily to help out in 2021. You're drafting him over this window from 21 to 24 because you see something that you want to prepare for, right? And so that's the gap that they dealt with with this offensive line was that, the gap became more prominent when, you know, Andrew Whitworth's coming to the end of his career. John Sullivan had to leave. Roger Saffold leaves in free agency. And now you're dealing with this future offensive line that maybe doesn't look, what, as settled as you might have liked it to. But you got limited resources, too. You can't go out and spend trade picks for Dante Fowler, and Marcus Peters, and Aqib Tlaib, and then obviously Matt Stafford, Jalen Ramsey at the top end and have enough picks to address all your needs. So I, I don't know that I... I, I I agree with that criticism. I think it's something they've tried to prepare for. I think it's one of those things they're going to have to continue to deal with. That's the real big issue with the Matt Stafford trade, maybe the Vaughn Miller trade and the Jalen Ramsey trade. Not the not that you're missing out on picks to get these superstars. It's worth it to get that level of play, whether it's Jalen Ramsey or Matt Stafford or even Vaughn Miller in the playoffs. It's that you're creating a four-year hole on your roster where, A, you could fill it with younger talent in the case of Vaughn Miller and Matt Stafford. And B, it's cheaper, which gives you a ton of money to spend in free agency in addition to those draft picks. Well, that was what the Rams did that built up the roster in the Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff era. And it set them on a course to be successful. So I, I just think it's one of those things where people don't necessarily get that part of it quite yet, if only because we've been celebrating the big trades. And yeah, we got Jalen Ramsey and he's a young, he's maybe the best cornerback in the game. Yeah, we get Matt Stafford and he's a, suitable quarterback of quality to help you go win a Super Bowl. But what the hole that creates on your offense isn't an immediate one. It's not one that we're going to feel now. It's one that we're going to feel over the next four to five years. And so we'll see if the offensive line is the problem for that. So be it, but I expect it'll be bigger than that. Well, let's uh, put it this way. Uh, The Rams, from my, you know, perspective, just covering the team the last two years, uh, the Rams have drafted just Tremaine Ankrum over the last two drafts. And, uh, and, new uh you know and i think people are looking at that not just in the sense of like they were looking at the fact that the rams were going to start you know austin corbett at center and then it became brian allen and everybody you know you know more about the way that people feel about brian allen than i do and i don't know that i do anymore it's (laughs) it's changed so much right now but you knew what it was like prior to this that's true fair enough and how much people despise the idea of a brian allen start indeed 
and Indeed. how much maybe there was, uh, you know, even just hesitation with Andrew Whitworth coming back. And sure. Go back, go back to week 10 and mention the name Creed Humphrey and see how people <laughs> felt about Brian Allen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. The Creed Humphrey thing and, and more and more will uh, come out to fruition, but um, looking at it now, you know, it's just that the Rams, as you said, Whitworth coming back seems remarkably low odds. Uh, even if it's that, even if that's even ideal, it may not be, even it's ideal. not even remarkably low. You're talking about the only guy that played left tackle at 40, right? That's not remarkably, <laughs> that's historically impossible. Yeah, uh, exactly. And so there's the left tackle there's, um, I believe Austin Corbett, uh, my mind is just going to start racing. I mean, no, Joseph Nopum is a free agent. Austin Corbett is a free agent. Brian Allen is a free agent Yeah. next year. David Edwards is a free agent. Bobby Evans is a free agent. Uh, you know, Rob Havenstein is a free agent and you're looking at the roster and, and certainly there are those guys um, on the roster and you go, well, is Bobby Evans going to start? You know, that was such a, that was one of the big things to come out of last summer, which is that Bobby Evans, oh, Bobby Evans is coming. Bobby Evans is coming. And then it was like, Bobby Evans might not make the team. And right. uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that perception of the way that the Rams build this next line, because the next line would presumably still have to include guys that are still on, that are already on the roster that, that are on rookie contracts and are affordable to some degree. And we'll see how that works out. Um, looking back at the 20, let's just go over quickly here, the uh, 2020 draft, because as you said, Les Snead doesn't necessarily ever draft for right now. He's looking at the ways that the need, the roster needs to change to one to three years down the line. Exactly. Exactly. So the 2020 draft would be going into their third season. This includes Cam Akers, Van Jefferson, Terrell Lewis, Terrell Burgess, Bryson Hopkins, Jordan Fuller, Clay Johnston, uh, who I think is back now. He might be still, I don't know. Uh, Sam Sloman, who's obviously gone and Tremaine Ankrum, who might be starting this uh, upcoming year. Um, that list of names, uh, how much, uh, how do you feel about Van Jefferson after this uh, last year? I mean, I like Van, but good Lord, is that a crowded wide receiver room, right? Yeah. You got, you had Robert Woods and Cooper Cup in front of him to start the season. Now you've added Odell Beckham Jr. possibly. That's just, for a young guy trying to, you know, establish himself in the league, that is limiting his opportunities to a severe degree. Now, you, you limit him because it's to the benefit of the team, and you've got a Cooper Cup and you want to win the Super Bowl. But there's no doubt that Van Jefferson on a different team would be getting a lot more work and a lot more targets than he does here, right? Absolutely. 89 yeah. targets uh, was just surprisingly more than I expected. Uh, Me too. Looking Me back too. on it. Yeah. Uh, 802 yards. Uh, and what are your thoughts on the decisions that have to come up here for Robert Woods uh, coming yeah. off of an ACL injury and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. coming off an ACL injury? Which of those players do you think you focus on? <laughs> I mean, it's, I think it's possible to bring them both back, especially if you can, and I, this is where we're getting into front office 2.0, where we, you'd have to speak to somebody else. If you can get Odell Beckham Jr. on some kind of weirdo Bitcoin contract, or what, what was the one that had the QR code during the Super Bowl? <laughs> who the who that was at? Yeah, crypto, Coin, blockchain, whatever, <laughs> whatever that crypto, if you can get, I don't know how it works anymore. It used to be that you would just promise guys actual American dollars. Now, <laughs> if you if you can get Odell Beckham back on a Dogecoin contract, shit, do it. But it's also one of those things where last year was the first year where I think the Rams got serious about uh, getting ready for the future, right? With the 21 draft, uh, yeah. obviously with Tutu getting hurt and, and the wide receiver group being structured the way it was, we didn't get to see, let's say, a ton of him in, in whatever role he's going to have. Robert Rochelle got a little bit. Jacob Harris got very little. Oh, Ernest yeah. Brown didn't get involved till late. Bobby Brown, almost not at all. Ernest Jones got his time, though, obviously, as well. Yep. Um, and, and Ben Skoranek. Everybody loves a little Ben Skoranek uh, paprika on tie now. But it's <laughs> one of those things where you could see that they were starting to look beyond, and obviously with limited draft capital as well looking beyond what they had now and starting to put together this core. I and think by the, the way, Ben Skoranek, uh, give the guy some credit, everybody. He's a seventh round rookie that was playing the Rams <laughs> in the playoffs. How crazy is that? that and that, but that's a, that's a good indication of what they've done to supplement this top heavy roster is get guys that they can plug in that won't really hurt the team. Now Skoranek's not the perfect example of that right. because of, some of his play in the in the postseason but you had a lot of guys Troy Reader um yep uh 
<clears throat> Darius Williams. We talked about the offensive line where you've been able to plug guys in and they've been sufficient to let Aaron Donald do things and let Cooper Cup do things and not not be a detriment to the team. That's kind of what they they've been able to do. And I think the 2021 draft was a clear indication of that. But what's obviously going to be a much clearer indication of where they're going is this free agent period where you, you look at this free agent list for the Rams, Sebastian Joseph Day, Brian Allen, Joseph Noteboom, Johnny Munt, um, Odell Beckham Jr., Austin Corbett, Sony Michelle, which is a little funky one, Darius Williams and Von Miller, all un, unrestricted free agents. And I, there's no way you keep all of those guys. You've got to make some value decisions now that are going to have significant impacts on the starting roster next year and, and ones that you otherwise wouldn't want to have to make. Because, you know, in a, in, a, in a different situation, you'd have the money to resign all those guys. None of them are going to be terribly expensive. But the Rams are pretty much full up going into this year. They mm. don't have a lot of wiggle room. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they do this because the only other option is if you restructure some of these deals. But now you're locking guys into their mid-30s at position where the mid-30s generally don't have playable starters. And so I, I just don't know. It's one of the you, you mentioned the idea of Robert Woods versus Odell Beckham Jr. Right. I don't have any problem with Robert Woods's contract the way it's situated now, but that's because in two years, Robert Woods is probably going to be at the end of his career, right? And I, I don't know that you want to keep Robert Woods in the role that he's at now in two years when you need to have a 24-year-old Robert Woods coming onto this roster. Who do you think it's more, who, I don't know, put it this way, who is more likely to get 400 snaps next season, Terrell Lewis or Bryson Hopkins? I'll go with Hopkins if only because I just, I don't think you can trust Lewis's health, yeah. uh, which sucks because he's very, very, very talented. And I really, really like him. But yeah. uh, I mean, he, he was the, he was the only guy younger than what 37 that was getting days off at practice just for rest. <laughs> I, the, the, I mean, the team knows, but they're yeah. being smart about it and you have to, you can't, you can't take that. If there's one thing I hope they learn from the Todd Gurley situation, it's that if you're going to take a guy with a knee condition and give him that many snaps, you should have a plan B to start the next off season just in case. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I wouldn't play it on Tara Lewis getting that many snaps. That's not his fault. It's just the reality of, uh, his knees health and where he's at in his career. Um, but I also think Bryson it can be a nice, nice component. It's also one of these things. I have no idea what they're doing at tight end, right? Tyler Higby coming back from this knee injury. What, what do they want to do with the position over the next three years? I have no clue. It's uh, it's, it's a lot of those. I think there's a lot of those no clue positions kind of um, just because. But name a position that's not a no clue. That, like name one that you're really you can't even really do that with Aaron Donald. <laughs> I mean, right. I, maybe Jalen Ramsey is the only one that is true. under contract and young enough that you can say, okay, three, four years, we can lock him in. Other than that, I don't, I don't know, man. Week one starter, Cam Akers or Daryl Henderson? <sighs> That's tough. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the option. See, I'll go Cam Akers. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see both of them get healthy and get a real season under their belts, especially for Daryl, because Hendo's going into free agency the year after. Sure. And, and good Lord, has anybody been beating the drum on this longer than you and I have? The <laughs> running back position is not one that you sink. My, and we, we've seen it. And now teams yeah. are coming around on it. So I'd like Hendo to get a full as full of a season as he can next year to maximize his value. At the same time, Cam Akers is a nice component to have. I Good love duo, the one-two punch. It's a fantastic duo. I think we've seen that before. The difficulty is what we've seen the last two seasons is that, uh, you know, it's hard to get them both healthy for an extended run. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But um, it's also one where if you ask me, am I content just to bring back Akers and Henderson and hope for the best? The answer is no. I'd like to, whether you sign Sony Michelle to something cheap on a one-year or take another day three flyer on a guy, Maybe, hey, Jake Funk, who knows what happens with a funky offseason. Maybe his leg gets right and they can bring him back as a running back three. But it, it, in the current NFL, there's no way that you, and especially with the Akers and Hendo uh, injury resumes, there's no way you can go into that and just assume that those two will be good enough. You've got to get a third. So I'll go with Akers as your week one starter, but I'll go with somebody else as a week four starter. That's a good, that's a good uh, inclination. Last one. Uh, Week one starter, Terrell Burgess or Taylor Rapp? You're making these hard. <laughs> um, 
I guess I'll go rap. They, the, the coaching staff hasn't shown the, the commitment to Burgess the same way they did with David Long. And in both cases, I'm surprised. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll go rap just because, you know, what did he get? Like nine, he was over 90% of the snaps this season, I think. Um, yeah. He's, he's, yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I, I get it that there's some hesitancy from the fans, especially with some of the play late on in his rookie season. But uh, again, not everybody has to be a pro bowler. You need guys that can just hold down their position. Raps an incredibly smart safety. That was one of the things was they gave him a ton of assignments at Washington. And you saw that his rookie year where he was getting one-on-one assignments that you kind of what you were mentioning with like Brent, Ben Skoranek. You don't give rookie safeties these kind of assignments that Taylor Rapp was getting in the first year unless you really, really, really trust his head game. Um, that's been one of the great things about Jordan Fuller is he's so smart as well at covering the back end of things. Uh, that you can stick him at the back and let Rap play downhill. Great combo. So I'll go with Rap. Although I like Burgess, it gives him some flexibility, but I also don't know what position and, and kind of what role Burgess would have. And, and I'm not sure the coaching staff has really figured that out for him as well. I'll put one more guy out there. And I mean, you mentioned him earlier and, and uh, you mentioned his patience. And I just think because there's a lot of Rams fans who compare him to Creed Humphrey and get mad, I, you know, I still am okay and excited for Tutu Atwell. I, I, I think this is a guy that played quarterback in high school, you know, flashed some sort of exciting abilities at Louisville at receiver is still sort of learning the position. Wasn't intended to do more than play special teams really as a rookie and as crowded as that room is, if, if, if it gets less crowded because of contracts or whatever, uh, I'm at least pulling for Tutu Atwell to be a, a very nice compliment next to Cooper Cup. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we didn't, again, we talked about it. You didn't draft him for 21. You drafted him for four years. So he's got three years left on his rookie deal to adjust to the NFL, to, impl- to, to get himself included in this offense, whatever way that is. I have no clue. I, I'm still interested in it. I'll, I put it like that. I have an interest level that's still, I'd say, high, right? Right. Um, I don't know what that is. That's part I mean, of the, if the Rams didn't draft him. Let's say that the uh, Eagles had drafted Tutu Atwell. And let's say the Eagles gave up on Tutu Atwell after one year and traded him to the Rams. Very People different. would be so yeah. excited for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's it's what we talked about with Van Jefferson. There's so much limited outputs. How are you going to get people the opportunity to get snaps? And then when they do get targets, it's too many names right now. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited for Tutu. I think the other the other name I'll throw out there that's really interesting to me, and obviously we've got a year off from this, is Rob Havenstein. Rob Havenstein mm. has put in some really, really, really good football these last two years. And he's a free agent after 2022. Um, voidable years all at the end of his contract. He'll be 30 next season. But you got kind of an anchor at right tackle at a time when you're losing your anchor at left tackle. I don't know if that increases his value within the team. I don't know if that how that affects his market away from the team, but I I do know you don't want to transition starting left tackle and right tackle within two years of each other after coming out of the Super Bowl. Um, and we'll see. Again, he's got to play out this next season and we'll see where it goes. But I think that one's interesting for me because he's locked in as a starter, whereas everything else is so up in the air. I have no yeah, when you're asking me who's gonna get more snaps and I'm struggling, that's yeah. part of what's gonna be so fun about this team moving forward is. You're not going to have premier acquisitions to do it. We don't have the money and we don't have the draft picks. So a lot of it is going to be training camp battles. The training camp battles for these next two, three seasons for the Rams are going to be way more interesting than they've been the last four or five years. I agree. Uh, This has been another, I think this is one of the top ranked podcast episodes of all time, any category. Uh, And uh, I thank you, Joe McAtee, for coming back onto the Turf Showtimes podcast to talk Rams, Super Bowl, championship, future, past, all of it together, fandom, and Tutu Atwell. So uh, is there anything else you'd like to say to the fans out there, plug, anything at all? I mean, we won. <laughs> I'd say that. We won the fucking Super Bowl. That'd be, that'd be first. We won the Super Bowl, man. I hope I hope people will enjoy this as long as I will and don't. Yeah. Uh... Enjoy it. That this was one the of the point. <laughs> that was one of the saddest things was like the day after the Super Bowl to see people still arguing with other fans on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, guys, no, just for, for at least a week, just enjoy, just be happy, just revel in the satisfaction of achieving the pinnacle achievement of the entire sport. We did it. And the I mentioned the permanence. The permanence of that joy should last for years 
you should if if the Rams don't make the playoffs next year, we should still be happy that we won the Super Bowl the previous year. That that supersedes any possible failure this year. Um, LSU yeah. fans should still be celebrating the season they had with Joe Burrow still and for years to come. That right. one of the things I mentioned on uh, I was on another podcast was now the fact that the Rams have won the two Super Bowls when they did. They've essentially averaged one Super Bowl victory per decade. That is much, 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 much higher than most of the league. We should, we right. should, you, you got to take a chance to enjoy this because it's so rare and it's so fundamentally structured to make this the pinnacle of the achievement. I really hope people take this uh, with the same kind of happiness and joy that I am for years to come. We'll yeah. see. Maybe we'll get back to the Super Bowl this year. Maybe we'll get back there in three years. Nobody knows. But what we do know is that we won and that matters more than anything. Yeah. I mean, if you, really people are chasing something that does not exist if they're yep. uh worried yep. about like how many because it's like you know hey guess what the Steelers didn't win Super Bowls in the 80s the 90s or the 2010s the Patriots didn't win Super Bowls in the 60s 70s 80s or 90s the 49ers didn't win haven't won a Super Bowl in almost 30 years the Cowboys well, do the Cowboys do the Cowboys <laughs> there you go Cowboys have Cow- been close to the fucking Super Bowl since 95 <laughs> so uh you know as you say, if you're 40 years old, that means, and I'm, I'm almost 40 years old. So if the person out there is 40 years old, that means you've lived 14,600 days on your 40th birthday, if not a few more because of leap years that I forgot. But if you've, that's 14,000, if you win a super, that's two days out of 14,600. If you can't expand that to enjoy it for longer than at least a, you know, a couple of days, you're really wasting 99.99999% of your life. That a Super Bowl win is like that big turkey bone after Thanksgiving. You got to make that thing work, man. You got to get like four <laughs> meals out of that at least. Absolutely. Great point. Yeah. Get that turkey, guys. I mean, really enjoy this. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens next when all the, the next round of crazy moves happens here. And, and w- after the Rams do some more things, we'll talk to Joe once again here on the Turf Show Times podcast. Uh, follow Joe on Twitter at 3K underscore. And uh, you can find Turf Show Times at the predictable at Turf Show Times. I mean, it's what you think it is. So go find Turf Show Times on Twitter. Uh, check out the podcast, hit subscribe, and uh, come back next week for another talk about the Los Angeles Rams, as well as the Last Minutes podcast, Last Minute Thoughts podcast with Rob and JB here at Turf Show Times. That's it for this episode. Come back next time for another episode about the world champion Super Bowl winners of the championship in the world. They won it all. The Rams on the Turf Show Times podcast. Best sign off ever.